0: You are listening to The Hodges Huddle, where we discuss all things happening in the wide world of sports. Here is your KLSU sports
1: team.
2: Welcome in to The Hodges Huddle podcast. I am your host, Patricia Caputo. Today joining me is Andre Champagne and Jaden Smith. Andre, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. What about you?
2: I am doing very well. We've had some amazing Trades happened with the NBA the last few weeks, along with some highly anticipated games like LSU women's basketball taking on South Carolina. Jaden, what do you have to say about these games coming up?
0: Um, I feel like this is the Super Bowl of women's college right now. I mean, I'm, I don't think I've ever been this excited for a women's basketball game, period. So I'm very excited for it.
2: Right, it should be extremely excited. But before we get into LSU women's basketball, let's talk a little bit about the NBA and the Woj Bombs, the Adrian, Adrian Wojanowski that dropped all of the huge news in the NBA this week. First, talking about Kevin Durant. He was traded. Talking about naps, uh, in, on the show a few weeks ago, Jaden, you had mentioned that when James Harden was traded to the Nets, you were taking a nap, and I just so happened to be taking a nap as well. And then I woke up in the morning And saw Kevin Durant was traded on Thursday. Right before the trade deadline, hours before the trade deadline, Durant gets traded to the Suns. That means the big three error in Brooklyn is officially over. At one point in time, there was James Harden, there was Kyrie, there was Kevin Durant on the same team. They only played 16 total games together and won 13 of those games. What could have been, what you could have said. The biggest what-could-have-been team ever, Jaden?
0: Easily. Uh, This might be the biggest disappointment in sports history, definitely basketball history. I mean, I think their ceiling, to me, was just like a dynasty. Like, it was championship or bust, you know? You get a group of guys like that on a team, and you can't get the job done. It just, I mean, it's just really unfortunate, you know? And I feel like a lot of people forget um, the Eastern Conference, no, the semifinals against the Bucks that Mm -hmm. year, I mean, Kevin Durant's big toe was on the line, you know, and if he's behind the three-point line, that changes this entire conversation. So what could have been?
2: You're right. The team only won one playoff series together, the three of them. Andre, Stephen A. Smith, when Kevin Durant got traded, said on ESPN that this will tarnish – Kyrie Irving it could possibly tarnish Kevin Durant but because he has that quote-unquote possibly a super team that the Suns were already contenders and now they add Kevin Durant do you agree with that do you think that this very well could tarnish possibly the money that Kyrie Irving gets paid in the future and his reputation
1: I think so just because I I, I personally think that Kyrie could be a bad teammate uh, I've always thought that he just got a lot going on um with, you know, all the opinions flying, you know, everything that happened earlier this season. But I think, you know, he's still a great player, obviously. But, I mean, for him to just leave team from, you know, team to team, it's, it's pretty questionable. Especially when you're playing with one of the best players in the league like Kevin Durant. So, it's just really questionable.
2: I guess he didn't leave Kevin Durant after all. That was the big thing going into the off season. Kyrie Irving said, I won't leave Kevin Durant (laughs) like that. And then actually, he didn't. Everyone said, look, he did when he was traded on Sunday to the Mavericks. And then Kevin Durant leaves just a few days later. But
1: But Katie didn't really request a trade, right? I don't think
2: he did. Well, it just came out
1: like an hour and a half ago that he privately privately did. Oh, wow.
2: Uh, So he had also, remember, requested a trade. during the offseason and the Nets just said you're too valuable so that's something that you have to wonder as well the Brooklyn Nets what's the problem there you had James Harden who they trade for he says I'm done with Houston and in my opinion he gave everything he could to the Rockets right and he just couldn't get the job done no matter how good that team was the Warriors were just too good he was just couldn't get it done there in Houston. That's is all you can say, right? It's similar to kind of J.J. Watt and the historic legacy that he left in the Houston Texans mm-hmm. and how they were never able to really win a good playoff game and to make it to a Super Bowl. Similar to that. So James Harden says, I'm going to leave. He goes to Brooklyn, right? You have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. All three of them in the last 13 months has requested a trade from <laughs> Brooklyn after Kevin Durant was traded, Kyrie Irving at a Dallas Mavericks press conference said, I'm really happy for KD and the fact that he got out of there. Yeah. Jaden, is the problem the Brooklyn Nets and not so much these, what a lot of people have called, quote unquote, the three drama queens? <laughs> that, that's what they've called them before, that, that, that they're not good for teams and together they just exploded, right? It didn't work well. But is it the Brooklyn Nets and their organization an issue?
0: Um, <clears throat> I can't call it a front office issue because at the end of the day, you you have to suit up and go play. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And this isn't one of those outcomes and circumstances where a player was too old, over the hill, past his prime, or players were getting hurt. I mean, these they had like minor tweaks and injuries, but it wasn't anything to the point where it just should have derailed the entire franchise and all of them should have been in a different jersey by now. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think it's more so on the players than anybody else because... Like you said, they requested a trade. This wasn't just oh, somebody saw something better on the table. No. They asked to leave there. So yeah, this is definitely on there.
2: And right after Kyrie got traded, the rumor was that the Nets were gonna build around Kevin Durant. And then that didn't happen. And Andre, do you have anything to say yeah, about I mean, the mean, I, I completely
1: agree with Jaden. I think they are being drama queens. I mean look, they they sat and complained about Steve Nash. He was a horrible coach. Mm-hmm. They ended up getting one of the best coaches. Uh, now in the nba with jock and i mean why not just let it ride the season right and get healthy you also have cam thomas who's emerging as as a star now but i mean you you let that ride you have great coaching now so you really can't complain about much right and kevin durant's about to to get healthy so and and the nets are winning by the way they mm-hmm. they're like what the fourth they're fourth fifth in in the conference so that That just amazes me. I, I think it's definitely a player issue. They're too greedy. once you know, once they know their worth, they get too greedy.
2: We'll talk about him in a minute, but I think the biggest problem is that everybody wants to be LeBron James. <laughs> everybody knew when Michael Jordan was playing that nobody was going to be like Michael. That's right. why there was Gatorade commercials be like Mike and not be like anybody else, right? right. It was every Michael rules the NBA, right? And He spread the NBA wide and far. I think he's one of the reasons that the NBA wants to play overseas, right? And they're so active and just such an active fan base there. And everyone these days seems to want to be like LeBron James. That's why Kyrie Irving left and he went to the Celtics because he wanted to be a leader. That is why Kevin Durant, he left the super team of the Warriors because he wanted to go to the Nets. And then James Harden, it just seemed that there wasn't any trust. With the front office, I mean, I think Kevin Durant came into this saying, oh, I kind of want a Ty Lue, similar to what the Cavs had with LeBron James, where, yes, Ty Lue is the head coach. He sits there. He looks pretty during the press conferences, but LeBron James rules everything, and LeBron James is going to make the decisions, right? He's winning the games for the team, and Kevin Durant thought that he could do that, and now, despite there were injuries, but that's what makes LeBron James, why he's in the discussion with Michael Jordan and why Kevin Durant isn't. Yeah. Because the leadership it's separate to none yes. that LeBron James has. And
1: also LeBron had to go through a lot. Right. You no know, no help. And right. Yeah. Kevin's always had help, right? So I mean that's just the biggest difference right there. Is yeah. is LeBron single-handedly carried some teams to the finals Definitely. Again, even if he didn't win it. Mm-hmm. By the way, he had no help. He was averaging like 30 points a game mm-hmm. in the finals. So
2: You even look at right now, he's yeah. 38 years old exactly. putting up yeah, exactly. 41 point games nearly every night, right? And that seemed to be the difference maker, where you had two people who really wanted to lead. You had James Harden, who thought that I could come into Brooklyn. I really think he thought, I'll be here for a few years, right? We'll win very quickly, and then I'll get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll go wherever I want. And that didn't work. And yeah. that's why he said, okay, let me go to the Sixers now, yeah. right? We'll see if it works again. And It seems to me that I think there is a little bit of a front office issue with the trust part. These players didn't trust. They didn't like Steve Nash. Kevin Durant thought that Steve Nash was, how they call it, kind of like a puppet, right? He was just going to sit there, look pretty, and then Kevin Durant will do all the background work. And that's not how it happened. And that seemed to be Kyrie Irving wanted something. But it wasn't like, oh, I want to prove to be a leader. I just want to say I'm a leader and I want to win quickly. I just want to have the ring. And now I feel like both of these players are still chasing a ring, all three of them.
0: Yeah, because I remember like uh, I think right before they'd even played a game together, I remember Kyrie Irving coming out and saying, yeah, I don't really think we even need a coach. And I think anytime you have a player that says we don't need a coach, that is a problem. I don't don't care how good of a player you are. If Michael Jordan had a coach and said, I'm not playing for any other team that Phil Jackson is not on, then that should tell you how important a coach is.
2: And that, and that's why you watched The Last Dance, and there was, Phil Jackson was in that for a reason. You could have easily made it all about Michael and Scottie Pippen, but it wasn't because Phil Jackson, one of the greatest coaches in the NBA, in my opinion, and he went out there and he helped Michael win, and Michael credits a lot of that, and that's the difference. It's so many people try to say, oh, I can be like LeBron James. Look, Ty Lue, what else has he done without LeBron? This and that. That's not how it works in every franchise. That is a rare case that LeBron James just happens to be one of the greatest players of the NBA and seems to make it work. But to wrap this discussion up, the Brooklyn Nets didn't really get a lot for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They didn't replace these superstars with other superstars. So I think it's quite clear. But Andre, did the Suns really win this trade? Did the Mavs really win this trade? And should Brooklyn have done anything differently?
1: It's just it's so hard to tell now. Uh, I, I'm going to have to watch a few games first. But, I mean, obviously, if you're the Suns, you're thinking we have to win now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's win-now mode for them. They, they want to contend, and they want to do it within the next two, three years, I guess, while they can still pay for everyone. But they also gave up their young generation talent. They gave up Mikal Bridges, who is phenomenal defensive player. He's phenomenal two-way player. And then you give up Cam Johnson, who's also a shooter. So, I mean, I just think that it's 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 hard to tell right now.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, it's just hard to tell, too early to tell. I mean, Cam Johnson and Mikael haven't even suited up yet. So, I mean, who knows? But like you said, Mikael Bridges is a very, very valuable asset on any team that he plays for. Yep. I saw earlier that uh, there was an uh, unnamed team. They offered four first-round picks for him. So, I think any team that's offering I think New Orleans. four first-rounders... You know, that should tell you how good that guy Would is. Would you
2: have right? taken that, oh, yeah. Jaden?
0: For Mikael Bridges? Yes. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. See,
2: and that's what blows my mind. Yeah. Because I was talking with one of my friends, and he was saying, yes, but you have the underdogs, right? You have this exciting team, the Nets, so to say. Have this exciting team. But exciting teams don't beat the Bucks, They don't right. beat the, the Sixers. And they don't beat the Celtics. But no?
1: now the Suns have no debt on the bench. Yeah, they have each. no debt. Correct. They have no debt. And that's so, why
2: health is so important for yes, the Suns Yeah, so
1: I mean, who are you going to get buckets? Yeah. Well, because
2: I... is Kevin Durant healthy, right? That's right, something right. that, is he going to get hurt again? That's something that you have to ask because even Liam, he used to work with us here at KLSU and yeah. when I, he's a Dallas Mavericks fan and we were talking about the Kyrie trade and he said it could go really good or it could go really bad. 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 There's yeah. no in between here. <laughs> okay, but let's talk about some more exciting news. LeBron James, we've mentioned his name quite a while, but he made history yes. this week as he passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and now leads the NBA in all-time regular season points. LeBron James scored his 38,388th point against the the Thunder and breaking records, breaking barriers, right? Uh, The chilling moment for me was Mm -hmm. when Kareem, they stopped the game, right? There were seconds (laughs) left in the third quarter. The whole game stopped. LeBron at halftime told his sons, all right, you want me to get it? And they were like, yes, Dad, get it. He said, all right, I'll I'll go get the record real quick. They stopped the game, and Kareem comes on the court with LeBron and just hands off a basketball to him. And for me, that was just one of the most chilling moments to see someone who held the record for 40 years pass down the torch Mm -hmm. to someone like LeBron James, someone that I grew up watching. Jaden, what does it mean for basketball? Just what LeBron James has been able to do, and just a moment like that that will be forever ingrained in history.
0: That means a lot. I mean, you know, what the home run record is for baseball, the points record is for basketball. Mm-hmm. This is something that I just, I don't see ever being broken just because of the production you have to put out and for the amount of time you have to do it. So this is something we will never see again. I mean, I was I was watching the game as if I was there. Like, I was so engaged. I don't think I've ever been more engaged in a regular season basketball game ever in my life. And I just remember I was watching with all my friends, and everybody pulls out their phones, you know, so we could record the shot that he hit. And, I mean, it's just a
1: historical moment, man, you know, something I will never forget. I mean, I agree. What LeBron has done for the league is just – it's like second to none, you know what I'm saying? It's, It's the most prestigious record there is, in my opinion, in all of sports. I think what has made LeBron so great is that he's played, like Jaden said, for 18 years and counting, and he's still as good as he was like five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. But I think he's definitely the best athlete the NBA has ever seen. Um, In terms of that, I think, you know, he's just natural out, like athlete. Like he will go, you know, just bully anybody else he plays. Now, in the sense for Jordan, I think Jordan was just better competitor. Yeah. I think he had the you know the want to win more you know because I think obviously you know uh, you could you could put up you know a case for either but I think they're the the goats of their respectable age easily right. Each generation.
2: I always get a little bit upset that I never got to see Michael Jordan play, right? right. But we have just been so blessed as sports fans. I mean, to see Tom Brady play, right? To see LeBron James play. And then even you had mentioned the baseball record. I mean, in in one year, so to say, Aaron Judge broke the American League home run record. And now LeBron James breaks the all-time scoring record. It's insane, the sports that we've been able to see, the records that we've seen broken. And just... The almost like the supernatural players that you get to see play right. every day. It's it's a beautiful thing, and especially uh, LeBron James breaking that record. It means something for the NBA and for Kareem to still be here with us and to be able to pass that torch yes, off to him. Yeah, yeah. It's quite quite special. But moving on, let's talk about LSU women's basketball. Highly anticipated. LSU twenty three and O. South Carolina twenty four and We're going to talk about that on the show on Sunday from two to three. Check it out at. KLSU, 91.1 FM. We'll be breaking down that because the game will be going on during our show, so that will be very fun and exciting. Let's talk a little bit about that Texas A&M game. LSU seemed to have its longest stretch of the season where they played Tennessee, and then they played a game on Thursday, and then they played Texas A&M on Sunday. So talking about this team, they did defeat Texas A&M 72-66, Andre, did this team look a little fatigued?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you beat this team by forty uh, at home, but I, I believe they are because they played three games in six days. That's that's a lot, mm-hmm. especially when you're going to class. You're you know you're trying to get all your assignments done. You have practice all day. It's it's just really hard to maintain that that kind of workload, and especially when you're a kid like that. You know, uh, a lot of people they don't think that you know these are just kids. You know, a lot of these players like, are 18, 19. I think yeah. Angel mm-hmm. Reese might be, what, 19? Like 20. 20. 20 at that's, the most. That's crazy. Yeah. But um, I think what's crazy to me is that voters are going to hold that against them, mm-hmm. and, and they will, but uh, I think LSU knows how good they are and what they're capable of, so... We'll see yeah, someday. I
2: mean, a lot of teams have put up a fight against them. Georgia Georgia went into overtime with them. LSU came away with Arkansas. that 82-77 to 77 win. Arkansas also put, them a, put up a fight. This has not been easy games for this team to yeah. win, so to say. Kim Mulkey even said in her press conference this week that this team is not supposed to beat South Carolina. She said the same thing about Tennessee, <laughs> and the, that team beat Tennessee. So as we await to see... This South Carolina game, right? Jaden, it's going to be a sold-out crowd. I've heard that tickets are selling for over $2,000. On some sites, insane, highly anticipated. I believe it's the first sold-out game this season for Mm. the Gamecocks. What is the crowd going to do to this team and to this game this weekend?
0: Um, Wait, do you mean to the South Carolina team or to us?
2: Just to both teams. Oh, man.
0: Uh, That is definitely going to be a factor. I mean, I think from the opening tip, they're going to be able to feel uh, the energy in the air. And they're going to notice, you know, they already know what's at stake. You know, they don't need any reminders. They know what's on the line here. They know what they're playing for. But I think the crowd is going to have a huge effect, man. I mean, you know, they wouldn't be telling people that it's sold out for nothing. So,
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I think it's going to be a massive advantage for South Carolina. LSU hasn't played – in a sellout crowd that hasn't been theirs. So mm-hmm. they're gonna be, you know, those those people don't like LSU. They don't like Kim Mulkey down over there in uh, Columbia. So it's, it's it's gonna be interesting.
2: And I feel that, like Angel Reese said a few weeks ago, this team is hunted, yeah. right? They are the hunted. So mm-hmm. there's, there's people out there who are waiting for LSU to lose, waiting for this journey to end. And it might be this weekend. I mean, Kim Mulkey is saying, if you win the game, you win it. If you lose it, you lose it. She's treating it just like another game. And hopes that one day it could get to that point, right, where it's just another game, right, equal matchup. But right now Kim Mulkey is saying they're just so good. It's going to be very difficult to defeat this team. So let's give some final score predictions before the game. Jaden, does LSU come away with this win?
0: Uh, I think we're going to do it. I think every dog has its day. I know South Carolina's defending champs, but – I think LSU has heard all the noise this year about, oh, strength of schedule, why they aren't number two in the nation, you know. And I think they're going to take that into account, and I think they're going to win. I think it's going to be uh,
1: 75-68. I like that score prediction, but I- I'll agree. I'll agree with you, Jaden. I think I think you're right. I think all the LSU's players are kind of seeing on social media – they don't like them. I think if you're everyone but LSU fans, they don't like LSU yeah. because they like to play with a lot of trash talk. You know, they like they influence the games. You know, they they have fun with it. And and uh, I think you know all these players are seeing that, and they're like, it's okay. You know, we got something coming for them. And uh, I think LSU wins. I'll say by say by eight. It'll be like 78 seventy-eight,
2: seventy. Okay, yeah. y'all. I'm I'm gonna disagree here. I think. LSU has had a great season. I I just don't I think this South Carolina team is just so good. Yeah. March Madness might be a little different, but in this regular season they're on the roll. They've played tougher opponents. Giving LSU this week off definitely helps them, but there yeah. you go. On the road South Carolina sold out crowd. I think they're only gonna lose by three. I, I mm. it should be high scoring game. This is a very offensively run teams, and I expect both teams to score a lot of points, right? And then I would say, I want to say 85 to 82.
0: Yeah, see, I don't have a problem with that prediction. The only thing is I feel like
1: if it's going to be that close, then I feel like we should win.
2: You're right. Yeah, we've yeah. been in
0: a
1: lot of close <laughs> games, which I think helps us for sure. But that crowd, I, I'm really worried about that crowd for the for those girls because they, they don't know what 18,000 is a lot.
2: That's that's the biggest thing. I mean, yeah. the the biggest they've ever played against. The place to be fifteen thousand yeah. against Tennessee. So it's eighteen thousand. You have to worry about communication. Are you gonna be able to oh, hear yeah. them the first I'm half sure, of the game?
1: I'm sure Kim's prepping them pretty well. You know, <laughs> that, I, that, hopefully have but full you can't always control
2: that that crowd noise, right? Sometimes you just can't hear some things. But it, it seems to be an exciting game, a wait and see type of game. What can this LSU team do? And what can South Carolina do to make sure that each team's both stay undefeated? Somebody has to win at the end of the day. Yeah. Moving on to a team that hasn't won. In fact, they have not won in 11 straight games. So LSU men's basketball. They were defeated by Mississippi State 64-53 to on Wednesday night. Let's start off talking about Adam Miller. It's someone who we, this LSU fan's... People who cover LSU thought that he was going to be the guy who's able to go out there and who's able to shoot the three ball. He did have 10 points in the game, but shooting the three ball, Andre, what did you see him as he gets, is he getting more comfortable?
1: Yeah, I I think he is. I, it's starting to look a little better. There's a little light at the end of the ton- tunnel, um, as I like to say, because his confidence just wasn't there as a shooter. And And when you're not shooting well, that gets in your head, especially when you're in a slump and taking poor shots is not going to help it, which he was doing. He was forcing a lot of stuff. He just wanted to see it go in, Mm -hmm. but once he got going in that Texas Tech game, I think that helped him a lot, and he's taken a lot of quality shots in the past three, four games, which is really good for him.
2: Jaden, if we're talking about Derek Fountain here, against Alabama, despite the loss, Derek Fountain went off. He had 26.7 rebounds along with two assists, and then this past game against Mississippi State, you didn't see as much production as many fans may have hoped. He had 10 points, but just not enough to overcome this hump as LSU loses again. Still in that 10-point margin. It's not like they're losing huge anymore, but they're right. just still not winning these games. Derek Fountain, were the standards different? Did you, If you're a fan, if you're someone who's watching him, did you expect him to try to consistently keep playing the way he did against Alabama? Oh,
0: absolutely. Uh, I mean, this guy had... 26 points against the number four team in the nation, you know, and that stands for something. And uh, I saw he shot 100% from the field against Mississippi State, but the bad thing is he only took three shots, you know. Mm -hmm. He took nine uh, against Alabama and got to the free throw line. So, uh, that's definitely a little bit of a disappointment, considering that was uh, just two games ago. Uh, So, I definitely was expecting him to be more aggressive, more assertive. I was expecting him to play with more confidence and, you know, and just try to force his way in, but... It happens.
2: Definitely, no doubt, and it seems that there's just growing pains that this team continues to work through, and right now there's just no answer. They will go on to play Texas A&M at 7.30 on Saturday in the PMAC as they look to break their 11-game losing streak. Moving on to a team that's also highly anticipated. LSU, despite men's basketball, has a lot of highly anticipated teams to cover this year, starting off with Baseball. Baseball. I know that the Reveille had a newspaper cover saying Omaha are bust. LSU will begin its season on February 17th against Western Michigan in Alex Box <laughs> Stadium. The first game begins on at 6 30 p.m. Head coach Jay Johnson he comes in last year not number one recruiting class already making great strides in this program but there seems just to be problems. Andre you were here last year you covered games. Fielding was one of the bigger issues on this team, along with the pitching. Tell us a little bit about what Jay Johnson has done this season to improve on those issues.
1: Yeah, like you said, I think it was more what Paul Maneri left him with. You know, as unfortunate as that sounds, uh, he left him with a bunch of guys that weren't as good as we thought they were going to be. But Jay really helped them develop, uh, as we saw. But I would say this crew is just one of the most talented squads that I've ever seen from LSU baseball since that 2016 College World Series team. The pitching was most concerning last year, as we know, and this year they brought in a lot of guys um, that are – they're working hours, you know, every night. Uh, I talked to pitcher Javen Coleman. He said there's not one night that goes by that somebody isn't on that field after 9 p.m. There's not one night, you know, that – that field is alone, you know.
2: And Jay Johnson talked about his team buying into this program.
3: You know, they're throwing programs as, as pitchers to be healthy. Uh, the developmental work of of where they need to get to was exceptional. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that barely went home for Christmas, and um, and that tells you the maturity of that.
2: Jaden. Jay Johnson talked about how this team is bought into the program. They're working nights just like Andre had said. What does this exemplify about this team, a team that is so highly anticipated coming into the season?
0: Uh, It exemplifies that uh, they are who they appear to be on paper, at least. I mean, the best asset and the best trait that a a great team can have that separates them from others is their work ethic. You know, that's going to show more than anything else. You can have all the talent in the world. You know, my dad always says, "Uh, hard work beats talent when talent don't work hard. So I feel like when you combine those two traits, talent and a good work ethic, you know, it's it's bound to pay off.
2: And the, something that sticks out about this team is the depth that they have. That Jay Johnson said that last year there were times where you didn't, this is what you have at shortstop, right? This is what you have at third base when Jacob Berry was hurt. That you didn't, It was just kind of you're putting in whoever is playing on the bench, right? Whoever you can. But that's not the case this year. In fact, this team has a lot of depth. And Jay Johnson said, I can't guarantee a lot of people are going to start because there are so many talented players that will go in a rotation and will decide when the season begins. Andre, is this a blessing for them? I mean, could there be any curse?
1: No, no. Anytime you have this kind of depth on a team, it will always be a blessing. Um, In baseball especially because – these freshmen, they're gonna have a year to develop behind some of the best players in the nation. You got Cruz, you got Tommy, uh, Tommy o. White. You have Paul Skeens. You just have all these players who are just phenomenal and, and some of the best in their position. Growing behind that, there's nothing wrong with that for a year. You know, you you can go to college for four years. So I, I see these guys. You know, this is a good thing. Maybe even if they redshirt, get an extra year out of it. So.
2: And Tommy White from uh, North Carolina State seems to be a factor in the fielding. He seems he could likely solve some of those issues as – He could be a third baseman, at least that's what he played at North Carolina State, and also hit 27 home runs last year. So that's also impressive to add to the offensive firepower that this LSU team already has. Exactly. As a freshman, he is now a sophomore here at LSU. So we talked a little bit about the fielding. The problems have been fixed there, but let's talk about the pitching. Last year, Blake Money comes out early in the season. You think that he's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and that's your Friday night guy. And then you see the slow decline. You just didn't get that from Blake Money. He gets hurt. He just never seems to be Every the same.
1: Every team became an SEC team. Yes. <laughs> Every team was not Maine.
2: Michael Hilliard comes in for this team, and he seems to be that Friday night guy. It gets to the point when this team gets into the playoffs, one of the, the broadcasters asks, Can you play him all three nights? Right. Because LSU just didn't have anybody else at that moment to help them win a game, right? It seems that you just had a lot of different pitchers, but guys who were not Saturday guys like this team so desperately needed last season if they wanted to try to make that trip to Omaha. But. Andre, we'll go back to you. You've been covering LSU baseball thus far. How do they fix this issue this season?
1: Right. LSU added so many, so many new pitchers, uh, starting with Paul Skeens. He's a dual threat. Get, he gets up to 100 miles per hour. When you throw 100 miles per hour and you also hit bombs, I mean, you're going to be one of the best players in the country. I think he hit almost 20 home runs last year, and he was their Friday night guy. I mean, that is just ridiculous. But they, they also um, – they added Thatcher Hurd from UCLA, phenomenal stuff as well. And they also added Vandy pitcher Christian Little and Nate Ackenhausen Nate from East Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They got way more depth than you know they had last year, and that's such a blessing for this team and probably a reason why they actually are number one.
2: Right. Hurd had an ERA of 106 last season along with 48 strikeouts in 34 innings. And fun fact, he limited his opponents to a 138 batting average. Mm. And this is, Jay Johnson, this is something that he's improved on. It's something that he made it a factor to improve on this season. It's something that if this team wanted to be ranked number one, they had to improve on. And that's exactly what he did, especially with Paul Skeens. And that is what, this is what Jay Johnson had to say about Skeens and how he can help improve this team.
3: Elite fastball. Uh, We had a very intentional plan when we recruited him of like, this is what we're going to do. We wanted him to get to work right away on some other things with Wes. And for seven weeks at the beginning of school, it was really laid out to elevate the things he needed to do to be that type of pitcher, to be one of the best pitchers in the country and, you know, a future major league starter. That's where his life is going.
2: Now, Jaden, along with the pitching, you have the fielding, the offensive firepower, as we had mentioned before, but then you also have a guy named Dylan Cruz. And he can, again, great offensive player, also great outfielder, can help this team, but is also a leader for this team, a veteran on this team, so to say. You have players coming in from the transfer portal. You have players from recruiting. While this team is bringing back a lot of its pieces, there's also going to be a lot of new faces that are helping to... Win games for this team. So, what does Dylan Cruz do for this team in a leadership standpoint?
0: Um, I think he just do what uh, what he's capable of. You know, um, guys that have been there, uh, they can just do what a good team, any good teammate would do. You know, and any good teammate would, uh, you know, just be a good teammate, uh, show guys around, lift them up. You know, and uh, they're going to naturally increase their bond and chemistry as the time goes along. So, I'm not too worried about anything.
2: Yeah, for sure, and. Jay Johnson another position there that has a lot of depth is the catcher position and this is what he had to say about who could be and might be starting and how difficult a decision that truly could be.
3: So you have Ethan Frey, Brady Neal, Jared Jones those guys this is all new and so Alex is like jumped to the front of this thing and coach Jordan's doing a great job developing that position like man I couldn't be more excited about um, how that's going and, and Alex deserves some credit for that um, Hayden Stravinsky, uh much like his entire career, he's kind of struggled through some injury things, you know, with his knees and hamstrings and availability to play. He has, I mean, light tower
2: power. So let's jump right into it. Let's give our predictions, the starting lineup for this season. Let's start off at the pitcher. Who, let's just say Friday night, who's going to be that guy?
1: I think it's been already confirmed Skeens is going to, he's going to mm-hmm. pitch on Friday night's. But I I got a – for Saturday, I'll probably go Thatcher, Thatcher Mm -hmm. Herd. And then Sunday could be a toss-up. That's where where I'm kind of interested. That's where – I want to see where Jay kind of makes his mind up because you have freshman pitcher, he's 6'8", like 210, Chase Shores, or you have Christian Little from Vanderbilt. So – I'm pretty interested to see yeah. and I what mean, he decides there.
2: Even Ty Floyd, that tried to be that Sunday yep. guy last year. So maybe in the beginning, early in the season, as guys continue to get more comfortable, you could see a little bit Ty Floyd. But I agree, Friday nights seem to be given to Paul Skeens. Jaden?
0: Uh, I agree. I mean, I don't think there's much discussion to be said about that. I think it's pretty unanimous all across the board. So, yeah, I agree.
2: And what about catcher, Andre?
1: I'm going to go Brady Neal, uh, the, the freshman. Uh, he... He's just phenomenal. He's got a bat. If Malazzo can somehow out, you know, hit him somehow, I just don't see that happening. Malazzo's had a lot of struggles.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm a little hesitant about a freshman starting. I mean, Hayden Travinsky is another name that could be possibly out there. Alex Malazzo – Again, I just don't know if Jay Johnson's going to be like, okay, I'm going to throw a freshman out there right away. But it is helpful because you don't jump into SEC play yep. right away. So but, guys getting comfortable, but I could see him coming in, in a midweek. They're going to rotate a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jaden, catch uh,
0: I'm going to go Thatcher Heard Hurd. Uh, 6'4", 214, sophomore, just has all the physical gifts, all the physical tools. So, yeah, I'm going him.
2: Right. And then first base, I mean, I think – Trey Morgan, right? We can all agree on that, yeah. so to say. And then second base. That could be a little bit of a toss-up. I'll go first, though. I'm going to go with Jack Merrifield. Experience last season, struggled at some times, but uh, did win a Golden Glove before, right? Can play in that field, can help one defensive player of the year back in 2021, and I think he'll be starting at second. Andre?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's either Jack Merrifield or uh, VCU transfer, Ben Nepolk. Um, I think Jack, uh, they said he has been the most consistent hitter uh, all of fall and spring. So, I mean, we'll see. I think Jack is going to be there, though, first, first game.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, I agree with Andre.
2: Okay, and then third base, I think Tommy White. Quite obvious, right? Could you say that? Yeah. Third base. That's, that's, yeah, Yeah. set in stone. We mentioned him before, Transfer from North Carolina State. (laughs) Jacob Berry, what a replacement, right, for Tommy White to come in right after Jacob Berry leaves uh, to go to the MLB. Shortstop, that's where you might have a little bit of a toss-up, too. Jordan Thompson, I would say, just because apparently there's been a ton of improvement this offseason. Jay Johnson has said that he's improved tremendously and that he's not the same guy last year. Andre, do you have yeah, any thoughts Yeah, I don't think there's
1: much discussion around uh, that position either. I think Jay said he talks of Jordan like he talks of Dylan, and uh, mm. I, think, I think Jordan Thompson's going to have a phenomenal mm-hmm. year.
2: And what about left field, Andre?
1: I'm going to go Paxton Kling, the uh, number one player from Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> he went to a school uh, of like maybe 100 people. Wow. Crazy, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to say him.
2: Okay, and I'm going
1: to – Jaden? Oh, yeah, I'm
0: going to agree with Andre on that.
2: Okay, and then I'm going to say Gavin Dugas. I know I'm kind of conservative in this case just because they're for the team last year. I just don't know that first outing. I feel that Jay Johnson might just conserve some of his talent and some of his players. Center, Dylan Cruz, right, we can all agree on that. One of the best players, possibly a number one draft pick, number one overall. And then, right, that's definitely up for grabs. Yeah. I'm going to go with Josh Pearson. Me right, too. He is a 432 on-base percentage. I think that's very important, even if he's not so much hitting home runs, right, right. on-base percentage. That's one of the reasons the Oakland Athletics won so many years ago, right? Important for that team. Andre, Josh Pearson, is he starting up right?
1: Yeah, I've got Josh Pearson. Hopefully he can uh, get out of his little slump. I think he's hitting, like, 138 right now in yeah. – are 130s in the 130s right now during spring ball and that's that's not really good to see especially when you're coming up on the season but hopefully he can get it going soon. If not him, I'll see uh, maybe Josh Stevenson
2: mm-hmm. Josh Stevenson, another guy last year who made strives as a young player for LSU. Going back to the pitchers, you have a lot of other returning guys. We mentioned Blake Money, Riley Cooper, that left-handed pitcher. You have Javen Coleman, who is coming back after having Tommy John surgery last season. So that definitely helps even more with the depth within this team. Lastly, let's just finish talking about the pressure. Again, you've heard so much about this team. Oh, this is their year to go to Omaha. They have to go to Omaha. People forget Jay Johnson's only in, only in his second year here at LSU. But there's high expectations for this team. Does the pressure get to them, Andre?
1: I don't think so. I I think at times in May, maybe one or two weekends, they'll need an adjustment, a little, uh, you know, it's not going to be your day every day, and and you're going to have to realize that. That's the game of baseball. But these players have bought in, and and they, they know what it takes. They know why they're number one. They know exactly what they're capable of. Where, you know, ends meet is, that's Omaha. That's where they're trying to go. They're trying to win a national championship. They know what's on the line. They don't care about the hype. They just want to win games.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately, as long as you, uh, you know, just keep your head on a swivel, like Andre said, they know why they're number one. They know how good they are, and they know what they're capable of. Uh, So as long as they just stay consistent with their play, uh, I think they'll be just fine.
2: Yeah, and they don't get into SEC play until March, March 17th, their first outing against Texas A&M on the road. That's really where you'll see how good this team truly is. They'll be able to exemplify all of their talents that are in the articles, right, that are in the papers right now. But I don't know if it gets to their head. The playoffs is that's where you're really going to have to prepare your team Guys who have been there before, it makes it a little easier, and that's where you come up with that leadership, right? You're going to need a guy like Dylan Cruz to come in and yep. say, don't let it get to your heads. We haven't accomplished anything that's yet. A,
1: that's a good thing, though. I think from last year, that's a good lesson that most of those guys kind of got um, <laughs> from the Hattiesburg Regional is, we're going to need more. You know, yeah. We expect more. We're going to need more to take, you know, to get where we need to win. So.
2: Yeah, for sure. That is all we have for you today. I would like to thank Jonah Webster, our podcast producer, for all the help and editing that he does. I am Patricia Caputo. Joining me today was Andre Champagne and Jaden Smith. And this has been The Hodges Huddle.